Hello and welcome to another episode of Life in the Dark, a podcast dedicated to the golden age of radio and Hollywood's classic era. This podcast is part of the Nomad in the Middle network. More information can be found at nomadinthemiddle.com. Johnson Wax Program, presenting Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly. Jimmy Greer and his orchestra open the show with I'm Hating This Waiting Around. Johnson's Auto Wax and Cleaner are giving away 12 magnificent deluxe covered wagon trailers and 348 cash prizes in a nationwide contest now in progress. Each week, one luxurious trailer completely equipped, $1,000 value delivered to your door, is given free in this great contest. All you have to do is complete this sentence. I like Johnson's Auto Wax and Cleaner because... Now just finish this sentence in 50 words or less, telling your own experience. First, try Johnson's Auto Wax and Cleaner. See how quickly your car takes on a beautiful, gleaming polish. It will be easy then for you to tell why you like these superior products. Printed contest rules will be found in each combination package of Johnson's Auto Wax and Cleaner for sale at your regular Johnson's Wax dealer, auto supply store, garage, or filling station. Read the rules carefully, then mail your entry to S.C. Johnson & Son, Racine, Wisconsin. coming on, Molly thinks a picnic would be a lovely idea. But Fibber, like most men, doesn't care for picnics. So, they're on their way to a picnic. (laughs) And here, bowling along a country road, looking for a spot that Fibber claims to know about, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. get them brakes fixed. Is this the place you had in mind, McGee? This is it. Trees, grass, and a little brook. Ideal for picnics, if you like picnics, which I never will. Mm, Now, don't start that again, McGee. Picnics are a great American institution. Well, it's time they tore it down and built a good restaurant on the same spot. Oh, be still and help carry this stuff over there. You take the baskets and the thermos jug, and I'll carry the... McGee, where's the apple butter? What? The apple butter. I had it in a tin alongside the basket. Oh, is that apple butter? Well, I put that stuff in the transmission. (laughs) Heavenly days. Well, come on, I'm hungry. You're hungry? I'm the guy that's hungry. I ain't at for a week. Go on, you had a very substantial breakfast. Well, breakfast ain't a legitimate meal. Breakfast is just something that gets all over the morning paper. Hey, what do you think of this place? Pretty, huh? Beautiful. Here, put this can opener where it'll be handy. Can opener? How'd you ever happen to remember that? I usually have to knock the top off a bottle of olives with a rock. Shucks. I bet so much ground glass at picnics that on a sunny day I glitter. (laughs) Don't you get it, Molly? I says it... It ain't funny, McGee. (laughs) Honest... Why, I've known folks to go into convulsions over ground glass. McGee, spread the tablecloth down. Okay. Mm. My, my, this is an ideal spot for a picnic. Yeah. I think it is. There's only one real ideal spot for a picnic, and that's home on the kitchen table. Hey, there's somebody coming. 
Did you ever see it fail? If you find a swell spot for a nice, quiet little picnic, everybody in the country thinks of the same thing at the same time, of all the dumb... Oh, it's Geraldine. Hi, Geraldine. Oh, hello there, Miss Miggy. Hello, Molly. Well. I thought I heard voices over here. Yeah, so you're nice. having a picnic. Well, now isn't that sweet? <laughs> I've often tried to get Gerald out on the picnic, but he always says the ground is so rough at picnics you can't ride on the tablecloth. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gerald's a guy oh, after Gerald says someday he's going to write the history of picnics on the back of a soda mint tablet. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a bitter pill to swallow. <laughs> I mean, isn't it really? Uh, uh, Gerald says there's only one possible argument in favor of picnics. Nobody ever argues over the check. <laughs> I don't know about that, Geraldine. Sometimes <laughs> you get a couple of guys on the picnic. Oh, and another thing, another thing Gerald said. Oh, you'll die at this. Half dead already. <laughs> he says he can invite nice people to dinner at home, but at picnics you only meet hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> Oh, you should hear him talk sometimes. Me too. I've said worse things with mine. He says no matter which relatives you take on a picnic, the ants always get there first. <laughs> oh, Gerald is a scream. He really is. Yeah. Well, I simply must be off. I'll say so. It'll be the There's other people who don't like picnics besides me. Be quiet. Here, now, take these paper plates and set them down. And what's going on here altogether? All together, bud, we're having a picnic here. Why? Oh, a picnic, is it? Yeah. Gordon, you picked a nice spot for it. Well, we think so. It was me husband that remembered this place. What was that? A sparrow. And can you sparrow minute to try Johnson's auto wax and cleaner? <laughs> There's old Harpo out on the limb again. Them are handsome-looking sandwiches, Mom. Thank you. Have one. Sure. I'll have a couple. Which ones are chicken? Oh, fussy, eh? Well, those are chicken there. Thanks. I'll be taking a couple of olives, too, begging your permission. Why, certainly. Could I drive up to the crossroads and get you an ice cream cone, bud? What flavor? What? <laughs> hey, what's the idea? Go on, beat it, and let us enjoy ourselves. Sorry, me boy, but I can't do it. Huh? You'll have to beat it. We? Oui. We can't have folks holding barbecues on this property and tearing up the grass and the flowers and all. Oh, now, please. Oh, we'll take care of things, bud. I'm an old woodsman myself. I observe all the precautions. Oh, observant, are you? You betcha. Why, one time up in Canada, I... And if you're so observant, why didn't you observe the sign over there? Huh? Old lady's home, no trespassing. You can't have a picnic in an old lady's home. (laughs) I believe you got something there, bud. (laughs) All right, now. Now pack up and get out. Go on, bait it. Okay, okay, we'll go, but we thought this was a nice spot. A nice spot for what? A nice spot for Jimmy Greer to play the goon goo Well, pack up the picnic, Molly, and let's go find another spot. That's right. I know, but can you imagine that guy chasing us away after eating all them sandwiches and stuff on us? That's what I call feeding the hand that bites you. Well, everything's all right now, dearie. Spread the stuff out again and we'll eat. Okay. You'll have to admit, Molly, that I know the places for picnics, even if I don't like picnics. Say, did you ever see such nice green grass? Mm-hmm. So smooth and all? Mm-hmm. It had a, it had a flag with a number nine on it sticking in that little hole there, but I threw that in the bushes. <laughs> 
surface the flag board? I don't know. I imagine somebody else had spotted this place for their picnic and they were staking a claim. <laughs> As I was always... Oh, McGee. Huh? Look at the boy coming on the bicycle. Hey, you, Mr. McGee. Heavenly days. Now what? That's me, bud. And don't give me none of that stuff about this being private property and we can't picnic here on account no, of... No, I'm a messenger. Got a telegram for you. Sign here. A telegram? Who's it from? Search me, lady. Boy, does that cake look good. Uh, here, have some. Thanks. Here you are, bud. Hey, how did you know where to find us? Well, I went to your house, and the neighbor says you were out on a picnic. Well, even so, how did you know where so we... So I sticks a red handkerchief in me pocket, and I thinks... Now, if I was a stuffed olive, where would somebody like Fibber McGee take me? And here I am. <laughs> Thanks for the cake, lady. <laughs> Who's the telegram from, dearie? Silly Watson. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. What does he say? Listen, it says, Mr. McGee and ma'am, care of Johnson's Auto Wax Make Your Car Shine Like Everything program, NBC. Dear boss, I will recombine our association with you next Monday, weather permitting and even anyway. <laughs> I would say more, but this is a night letter and I can't see good. <laughs> Signed, Sylvius Watson. Oh, uh, good old Phil. Well, we'll be glad to see him again, won't Indeed we, Indeed, we will. Mm -hmm. Well, come on, McGee. Let's get ready and eat our lunch. Okay. <laughs> Heavenly days, McGee. Somebody's throwing things at us. Hey, you over there. Cut that out. What do you think this is? <laughs> that stopped him. <laughs> they pretended they were reading a little white card. Well, what do you want me to do now, Molly? Well, you go over to the creek there and fill the lemonade jar with water. Okay. Dear old lookout, Molly. Now, where did I put those peanut butter sandwiches? Oh, yes. <laughs> Hello there, Mrs. McGee. <laughs> oh, more toots. You startled me. <laughs> what you doing, having a picnic? <laughs> well, we were up to now. <laughs> Never cared much for them myself. <laughs> Knew a fellow once who was so crazy about picnics, he always kept the sugar bowl at home full of sand. <laughs> Wasn't that a pip? <laughs> that bowled me over. <laughs> always liked to get out into the woods here and think up stuff. <laughs> Some of my best jokes have been thought up out here. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard some of your open-air jokes. <laughs> open-air jokes. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> hey, I heard a socko down at the sawmill. <laughs> One fella says, he says, <laughs> he, he says, <laughs> get a load of this now. <laughs> he says, what's the matter with your arm? <laughs> And the other fella says, the other fella says, a red ant. <laughs> and the first fella said, a red ant, bitch. <laughs> and the other fella said, no. <laughs> a red ant, and the adverse, and the arm's paralyzed. <laughs> I'm going home now and crawl down the chimney and pick up a hot one. <laughs> McGee, huh? more Toops was just here while you were gone. You just missed him. Good. What do you want? Three sandwiches, two pieces of cake, and an audience. You know, sometimes I think Mort ain't quite bright. Oh, you mean like a car that hasn't been polished with Johnson's Auto Wax and Cleaner? <laughs> Why, Mr. Wheeler? Harpo, what you doing out here? Oh, I came out here to study the birds. I'm an ornithologist, in a small way. You're a what? He says he's a small ornithologist, in a way. <laughs> That's right, an ornithologist. Is that so? I saw an ornith nest down by the brook. <laughs> Not hornet figure nuts, birds. Yes, yes, I study birds. Oh, say, that lunch looks good. You mind if I take a sandwich and some lemonade? Oh, go right ahead, Mr. Wilcox. Have a piece of cake and some pickles. Oh, gee, thanks. Hey, lay off the grub there, Harpo. Go study your bird. I am just catching a hasty swallow. Oh. So long, folks. Oh. A hasty swallow. <laughs> yeah, with a little robin on the side. <laughs> that guy's no ornithologist. He's a taxidermist. Did you see the way he stuffed himself with that chicken? Oh! <laughs> 
Who knocked that glass out of my hand? What's right there, Skippy? Get off the green. What do you mean, get off the green? Beat it, Grandma. We're trying to hold a picnic here. Well, Shorty, you chose a fine place for it. One side there and leave me pot. Where's my ball? Oh, here it is. Listen, Grandma, play somewhere else till we finish our lunch, will you? Not a chance, Skippy. Hey, who are you, anyway? Why, I'm Brassy Bertha, the Goona Goo, the girl golfer. <laughs> Watch me think this one. No. Heavenly day. Hey, quit walking over the lunch. And say, what's the idea of wearing snowshoes to play golf in? Why, we play winter rules on this course, Shorty. <laughs> well, here goes my drive, ready or not. Whee! Was that a dive? Well, so long, Skippy. <laughs> well, I'm glad she's gone. Hey, you, get out of there. What do you think this is? Scram. Who are you, bud? What's the idea? This is the Bobolink Golf Course, and I'm the chairman of the Greens Committee. Here, have some spinach. <laughs> Listen here, bud. Go we... on, beat it. Scram. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, come on, dearie. That's red, the dumb picnic. Well, I know another place. Why okay. can't you? Tommy Harris sings from the picture, Shall We Dance? You can't take that away from me. The way you wear your hat, the way you sip your tea, the memory of all that. No, no, they can't take that away from me. The way your smile just beams, the way you sing off key, the way you haunt my dreams. No, no, they can't take that away from me. We may never, never meet again on the bumpy road to love. Still, I'll always, always keep the memory of the way you hold your knife, the way we dance till three, the way you've changed my life. No, no, they can take that away from me. No, they can take that away from me. The way you wear your hat, the way you sip your tea, the memory of all that. No, no, they can take that away from me. The way you smile just beams, the way you sing of key, the way you haunt my dreams. No, no, they can't take that away from me. We may never, never meet again on the bumpy road to love. Till I'll always, always keep the memory of the way you hold. Your night, the way we dance to three, the way you've changed my life. No, no, they can take that away from me. No, they can take that away from me. Pack the lunch again, dear. Okay. I hope nobody bothers us here. You and your wonderful place at sea. Well, anyhow, I know this ain't private property and it ain't a golf course. And look at them rolling fields and the trees. This is really the spot I had in mind all the time. <laughs> oh, dear. Here comes somebody again. Now, why can't we have a picnic? Well, in who the is it? I can't see on account of the bushes. Listen, whoever you are, get out of here and leave us alone, you hear? We've had enough. Oh, hi there, little girl. Hi. What you doing? We're having a picnic. Now go on, run along. Hmm? I says we're having a picnic. Doing what? What do you mean, doing what? Well, gee, you said you were having a picnic, I betcha. 
Sure, we're having a picnic, and that's all, just having a picnic. Why? Well, because we, we like it out here, that's why. Out here among the trees and birds and stuff. You see, sis, I'm an outdoor man at heart. Hmm? I says I'm a, I mean, I know all about the woods and stuff. Carla? You betcha. Way back in Tacoma, Washington, I used to be known as Timber McGee. Oh, my. Timber McGee, the tip-top tornado with the trail tearing out tons of toppled tamaracks and tripping tirelessly through tangled trees from Tallahassee to Tacoma. Hmm? <laughs> see, do you know all about the woods, mister? You betcha, sis. Why? Well, see... Why do all the little brooks run so crooked, hmm? Why don't they run straight, hmm? Why don't they? Why do... Well, sis, there's quite a story to that. Uh, have a piece of cake and I'll tell you. Okay. Well, sir, way back in the woods, long time ago, there was a beautiful big lake. And this lake had two children, two little brooks. And one day the mama lake said, Listen, kids, she said, I'm going on a visit to my sister, Mrs. Stiffy. So you be good children and stay near home And so she left Why? She just did, that's all And the minute the mama lake was out of sight The two little brooks run away Way through the woods they trickled till it got dark And then they got scared and tried to flow back home again But it was no use They was lost Jesus is Sandy Cake, I betcha Say, are you listening to me? Hmm? I, oh, well, anyway, them two little lost brooks are still wandering around, twisting this way and that, trying to find their way back home again. You see? Sure I do, I betcha. Fine. But you know, and I know, that the real reason brooks run crooked is because water seeks its own level and the force of gravity keeps it from going back uphill. <laughs> sure. That Mama Lake stuff is a lot of malarkey, I betcha. <laughs> Try to teach a little more lesson. Oh, will you? well. Now come on and let's eat. At last. Mm-hmm. I'm so... Hey, don't do that, Molly. Do what? Knocking my hat off. You play too rough. McGee, I never touched your hat. It's been that bee that flew by then. Chuck, mm-hmm. I. Gosh, Molly, I never saw so many bees. Mm-hmm. They all seem to be going in one direction. They're probably going north for the summer. <laughs> Must be going a long ways. One of them grabbed a sandwich out of my hand as they went by. Mm-hmm. Days, did you look at that? Why, these wow. bees around here sure fly fast. They went right through the olive bottle. Hey, I never saw a bee yet that could fly that hard. There must be something else around this, here. This, oh, listen, McGee. This, you hear that? Somebody's shooting. Well, they got a lot of nerve busting up a quiet this, picnic. They... Hey, you, what's the idea doing all that shooting? Somebody's liable to get hurt. I'll say they are. You better pack up that stuff and scram, brother. Ah. This is the National Guard rifle range. Yard to hold a picnic. Well, Chuck, Molly, I was doing my best to find Be quiet, eagerness. Okay. 
Unload the stuff and spread the tablecloth in the middle of the yard there. Okay. At least nobody can chase us out of our own backyard. Well, I suppose this is another one of the beautiful spots you had in mind. Well, no, but... Get busy. Uh, Here, take the basket. Basket seems a lot lighter than since we started, and all I've had is one bite out of an olive. Well, everybody we met took a handful of stuff. Come on, now go to work. If there isn't enough there, there's more in the house. Anyhow, we can eat in peace and quiet here. <coughs> Where's that dust coming from? Some smart guy next door is beating rough. Oh, <laughs> hey, cut that out. Can't you see we're going to eat here? <laughs> hey, you with the carpet beater. Hello, Tabari. Hello, Babushka. What is the matter? Hey, we can't eat our lunch here with all that dust you're making. Yeah, and the wind is blowing it right this way, too. Picnic is not for having one where rogs is beating, Tabarit. I am beating rogs, but for making wind blowing to you is to do with me nothing. <laughs> I know, bud, but can't you wait till we get through with our lunch before you beat them rugs? That dust... <laughs> the dust is terrible. We're knowing all things, Tabarit. Dust we are, and to dust we can't get away from stuff. <laughs> Eating picnic is your stuff. Beating rogues is my stuff. If my stuff is stronger than your stuff, may the fast man win. Well, I give up, McGee. Bring the stuff in the house. Oh, for the love of... Well, okay. I guess that's all there is left today. I never put in such a day. Put the lunch on the kitchen table there. I never want to see it again. Well, I didn't want to see it in the first place. Well, we got home just in time. I wonder who that is. Uh, Hello? 79 Wistful Vista, Marley McGee speaking. Oh, yes, how are you? What? Oh, that's wonderful. Marvelous. Yes, well, thanks a lot. Who's that? Mrs. Wearybottom. What did she want? She's invited us to go on a picnic. We take pleasure now in announcing the winner in the first week's Taylor Contest. Mr. Fred L. Stoneley, 67 South Street, Salesville, Rhode Island. Congratulations, Mr. Stoneley. We know how much you're going to enjoy that beautiful covered wagon trailer, and we hope you'll keep it shining like new with Johnson's Auto Wax and Cleaner. Now, we wonder who will be the winner in this week's contest. You know, you have as good a chance as anyone to win. To compete in this week's contest for a covered wagon trailer and many cash prizes, you have only to finish the following sentence in 50 words or less. I like Johnson's Auto Wax and Cleaner because... Now send your entry with the box top from one combination package of Johnson's Auto Wax and Cleaner to S.C. Johnson & Son, Racine, Wisconsin. This week's contest closes at midnight, Saturday, May 29th. Each Saturday night thereafter, another week's contest closes. Now you'll find complete contest rules in the combination package of Johnson's Auto Wax and Cleaner for sale at your regular Johnson Wax dealer, auto supply store, garage, or filling station. wondered how it came out. <laughs> you know, somehow I can never read a book at a picnic. Never seem to get past the table of contents. No, <laughs> you're too interested in the contents of the table. <laughs> oh. Well, there's food for thought in that, too. Oh, my. <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. Save on car washings and greatly increase your car's trade-in value. Don't delay another day. Wax your car the Johnson way. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for S.C. Johnson & Son, the makers of Johnson's Wax, Racine, Wisconsin, inviting you all to be with us again next Monday night at this same time.
From the studio from our Hollywood studios through the Red Network of the National Broadcasting Company. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of Astounding Science Fiction, presents... X minus one... Night story, Dr. Grimshaw's Sanitarium. What you will hear in the next half hour represents either a magnificent hoax or the true explanation of the famous Grimshaw Sanitarium scandal which made the headlines back in 1947. The manuscript upon which this account is based was removed by the New York State Police from a fountain pen cover found in the doorway to Dr. Grimshaw's study. We offer this manuscript as evidence only. Whether it is authentic or not, you must judge for yourselves. My name is John Dougherty. I'm a graduate of Hamilton College, class of 34, a member of Theta Alpha. I'm one of those fools who wanted some excitement in life, so instead of going into my father's shoe business, I became a private detective. These are facts. You can check them if you like. The rest of what I write here is so fantastic that I don't expect it to be believed. If anyone should find this manuscript and read it, all I ask is that you notify Miss Millicent Armbrister of 299 Wallace Avenue, Buffalo, that Johnny Dougherty is dead. On the evening of July 1st, Miss Armbruster and I were driving to a wedding. Not our own, although I wish it had been. It was Sunday. And in order to avoid traffic, I took the old Mill Road, a single-lane dirt affair that runs past the Gowanda Cemetery. Johnny, aren't you going too fast? Not for this road. There isn't a thing around except some tombstones and... Johnny, the gate to the cemetery. What about it? That hearse, look out! Look out! We skidded for about 20 feet and slammed into the back of the hearse. The two rear doors buckled and snapped open. It was a freak. A huge oak coffin with brass handles tipped up and began slowly to slide back toward us. Oh, how horrible. You stay right here, baby. You okay, Mac? You don't pay much attention to speed limits, do you, Jack? Now, look, let's not get hung up on who was right and who was wrong. I was going too fast and you were traveling without lights after dark. Let's see your driver's license. Right here. Oh... Private eye, eh? Now, if you don't mind, who does this joy wagon belong to? Go on to funeral service. It's being rented to Grimshaw. Who? Grimshaw from the private sanitarium. Mind if I ask what you were doing after dark coming out of a cemetery with a wooden kimono? We're moving one of Grimshaw's patients to a new grave. They always travel like this? Look, Hawkshaw, how about skipping the third degree and giving me a hand getting this box back in the wagon? A pleasure. Better screw on that cover again. It's going to slide off. Let's get it in the hearse first. Okay, Junior. You get on that end. Okay. You ready? Yeah, lift. Just slide it. Oh, brother, who's in there, King Kong? Look out for the cover. I told you that would happen. What's the guy's name, Junior? Oh, why don't you ask him, Sherlock Holmes? A real wise guy, huh? I've got half a mind to report this accident. It will go ahead. See where it gets you. Now, if you'll pardon me, I'll deliver the body. Uh, 
Everything all right, Johnny? I thought so until a few seconds ago. Listen, Millie, can you sit here in the car for another five minutes? Where are you going? For a stroll through the cemetery. Oh, Johnny, stop making jokes. When we lifted that coffin back on the meat wagon, I got a good look inside it. Ew. Yeah, exactly how I felt. I figured we'd knock the stuffing out of the corpse, only I didn't expect the stuffing to be sand. What? Yes. That wasn't a body, that was a dummy stuffed with sand, a dummy with a wax face. Johnny! Which brings up an interesting question. Who's supposed to be in that box, and uh, just where is the dead man spending his time? Sometimes in my business, when things drop off, you have to go out and, uh, well, dig up new clients. My next case was a gentleman named Harlan Ward Sr., a wealthy automobile manufacturer. I'd gotten his name off his son's tombstone. Are you trying to tell me, Dorothy, that my son Harlan was never buried at Gowanus Cemetery? Exactly, Mr. Wood. But why? Maybe if you'll tell me the circumstances surrounding your son's death, I can help answer that. My son was a rather impetuous young man. Tall, good-looking. After his graduation from Princeton, he began drinking quite heavily. After he got into a couple of scrapes, we sent him to Dr. Grimshaw's sanitarium in the hopes that he could be cured. While my wife and I were in Europe, we received word that he died. Buried at Guana in our absence. Last week, my wife and I decided to have his body removed to the family vault here at Short Hills. How'd your son die? Suicide. You never saw the body? No. We couldn't get back from Europe in time. Now you tell me that his coffin contains a dummy. How do I know this whole thing isn't a plan to fleece me? You don't. But you're a rich man, Mr. Ward, and you're perfectly willing to take a chance that I'm on the level... And that your son may still be alive. You sound very sure of yourself, Mr. Dalton. My fee is a $2,000 retainer plus expenses. What sort of expenses? However much it costs to take the cure at Dr. Grimshaw's sanitarium. Dr. Grimshaw's sanitarium was just outside Gowanda. Most of the cases were nervous breakdowns and alcoholics. I committed myself as a dipso, and just to make it convincing, I stopped at five or six bars on the way over. I was interviewed by Grimshaw himself, a small man with a fringe of white hair. You understand, Mr. Dorothy. That's not my real name, of course, social reasons. We understand. Our paid clientele is very select, and our rates are very high. You'll be paid in cash and in advance, Dr. Grimshaw. How long does a cure usually take? Uh, that, of course, depends on the degree of alcoholism. Uh, this is my assistant, Dr. Boyna. How do you do? How do you do? We are accepting Mr. Dorothy as a patient. Better place him in the ward with Mr. K and Mr. Kreke. Uh, Mr. K is a long-term patient, Mr. Dorothy. A highly intelligent man, formerly a professor of plant pathology. Uh, Mr. Kreke uh, suffers mild delusions. I think you'll find him rather amusing. After about three days, my roommates Arthur K and Kreke got used to me. And we even began to play three-handed bridge. Kay was a chronic dope addict, an intelligent, sensitive man. Crakey was nothing but a clown. He kept a big black cat named the Professor, which he talked to as if it were human. And so I said to her, my dear Countess, if you don't like the company of my cat, then you don't like me. She looked at me as if I were insane. But of course the joke was on her because I was. A Professor? <laughs> The professor is very sociable. Excellent company. Except when he kills birds and deposits them in your bed. He's nothing but a feline murderer as far as I'm concerned. Ah, see? You have insulted him, Mr. K. Come here, professor. Let's make friends. How about giving me your paw? Oh! Scratched me, you black devil. You insulted him. You hurt his feelings. Well, just keep him away from me. It will be a pleasure. I would advise you not to insult him again. Good afternoon and evening. Is he always as nuts as that? Ever since I've been here. What's his problem? Manic depressive. And a little paranoid, too. How long have you been here, Arthur? At Grimshaw's? Two years. I left for a while, but I couldn't stay away from the junk, so I committed myself again. Did you, uh, happen to know a patient here named Harlan Ward? Why do you ask that? Did you know him? I met him socially a few times. I understand he died here. So the newspapers said I wouldn't know. 
Suicide, wasn't it? Was it? You're being pretty careful, aren't you? Mr. Doherty, what would you say if I were to tell you that I don't believe Holland Ward is dead? What makes you so certain? He used to share this room with us. He slept in the same bed you now use. I see. He was an alcoholic, doing quite well, too. From what I could observe, we all expected him to go home soon. Then one evening, he had a violent fight with Crakey. Crakey accused him of snooping or something. Later that night, Grimshaw and Voyner took him out. Where? May they take all the special treatment cases to the charity clinic. It's that small building on the other side of the stone wall. A few days later, we read about his death. Suicide, they said. Just what makes you think he's still alive, Arthur? This... About a month ago, I was in the garden next to the wall that separates us from the charity clinic. Suddenly, I thought I heard a sound, like a child whimpering. It stopped. And a moment later, this note came over the wall, wrapped around a stone. What's it say? Help me, for God's sake, Harlan Ward. Arthur, how would you like to have some fun? Like what? Like sneaking out tonight and going over the wall to the charity ward? What do you say? It would break the monotony a little. I suppose there's no real harm in it. Of course not. I'd go alone, but I'll need help scaling the wall. Will you do it? All right. I'll go with you. Up. All clear. Give me a hand and I'll lift you. Be careful when you drop. Ready? Go ahead. There's a charity building over there, the one with the lights in the basement window. Come on. Let's crawl over. Maybe we can see something. Shh, shh. Listen. Can you make out what he's saying? No, I can barely hear. Good Lord. What was that? Probably some patient having the DTs. Let's have a look. Easy it wouldn't do to get caught now. See anything? Some sort of laboratory. I can see Grimshaw and Voin and something else. What? There's a child with its back toward me. Now take it quietly. It will be easier. Please, don't. It will all be over soon. You won't remember anything. No, I don't want to go. Why not give it to him? No, no. Shut him up, Voin. No. Good Lord. What was it? What did they do to that child? Arthur, that wasn't a child. It was a midget. The smallest midget I've ever seen. What were they doing? Trying to give it some sort of injection. When it resisted, Boyna knocked it out. What do you suppose they were doing to it? I don't know, Arthur. All I know is that when it fell, it had the face of Harlan Ward. All the way back to our room, my brain was working like some frantic pinball machine. Only the score somehow wouldn't add up. The pieces were there, all right. A crazy old doctor, a brutal assistant, a private sanitarium, and a midget with a dead man's face. I thought that when I got back to our room, I'd have some time to think about it. I'd forgotten about our friend, the happiness boy, Count Crakey. Caught you. Fine, you've caught us. Now how about crawling back into the woodwork like a good little count? Where were you? Mink hunting. Arthur and I like to go mink hunting at night. You make fun of Count Crakey? I shall report you to Dr. Voyner. You'd better not if you know what's good for you. So, you threaten me. Me, Count Crakey. I shall scream for help. Help! Help! Did you hurt him? Just knocked him out. What do we do now? Put him to bed. Hope that when he wakes up in the morning, he's forgotten the whole thing. And if he hasn't? He's too crazy for them to take seriously anyway. Come on, let's get him back into bed. to sleep in my own room. And the next thing I felt was the sharp jab of the hypodermic needle in my left arm. Hold it. It'll be useless to struggle, Mr. Dorothy. In a moment, your motor nerves will be completely paralyzed. What's this about, Grimshaw? I might ask the same of you. My good friend, Count Crakey, informs me you and Mr. K decided to do some snooping earlier tonight. He followed you and saw you climb the wall. Crakey's insane. Mr. Dorothy, 
That is a matter of opinion. Craigie, what is this? Perhaps my assistant, Dr. Grimshaw, would be good enough to explain. Assistant? Yes. You see, I am the actual head of the Grimshaw Sanatorium. Count Craigie feigns many delusions, Mr. Doherty. But in this case, he is telling the truth. Count Craigie is actually Professor Ernst Hassler. Professor Hassler and I worked together in the Berlin Neurological Institute before and during the last war. Unfortunately, my political affiliations with the Third Reich were under investigation by the War Crimes Commission. However, Dr. Grimshaw managed to smuggle me into this country where I masqueraded as a mental patient in order that we might continue certain experiments which were interrupted by the American army. I can imagine the sort of experiments you conducted. You and your friend Mr. K will discover their exact nature very shortly, Mr. Dorothy. It is a magnificent opportunity to serve science. I passed out. And the next thing I knew, I was coming to in a different room. And hearing the voices of Voina, Grimshaw, and Crakey, as if from a great distance... The two are trained. The two are trained. Four cc's. Four cc's. How are the measurements? Reducing rapidly. We'll operate at once. Have Werner start the anesthesia. Very well, Doctor. Come in. When I came to again, I had a blinding headache. I began to wonder if Crakey and Grimshaw weren't doing something to drive me insane. Because I lost all sense of perspective. The room seemed to grow in size. I don't know how much time passed, but... One day, Crakey came into the room with a bundle in his arms about the size of a newborn baby. The bundle was my friend, Arthur Kay. And worse yet, I was exactly the same size that he was. Let me out of here. Let me out. Allow me to congratulate you, gentlemen. How are you feeling? You dirty monster. I'm disappointed, gentlemen. Do you not feel privileged to be a part of an experiment that will place me at the very top rank of the world's endocrinologists? What are you doing to us, you madman? It has long been established, gentlemen, that dwarfism and giantism result from injury to or malfunction of the pituitary and thyroid glands. The interlock between these glands was thought to be a hormone. I have discovered that this was incorrect. It was an enzyme. An enzyme I isolated some years ago. I was well on the way to synthesis in Germany when the surrender interrupted me. The interruption also limited the number and type of subjects on whom I could experiment. I was forced to find others. Such as Harlan Ward? Mr. Ward was only a control experiment. I suppose you planned the same for us. No, gentlemen. For you, I have reserved a special privilege. You gentlemen will be the first to test the full effects of the enzyme. In short, I intend that you, Mr. K, and you, Mr. Doherty, when the experiment is completed, will emerge as perfectly healthy, normal individuals. Except, of course, that you will be only five inches tall. days and nights that followed were a living nightmare. A nightmare from which Arthur and I awoke for brief periods to find ourselves in a strange new world. A huge, frightening world where everything seemed enlarged a hundred times. When we finally emerged, we found ourselves imprisoned in a tiny mouse cage. Judging by the relative size of things, we could not have been more than five inches tall. Now we realized the experiment was at an end. That from now on, it was either escape or be destroyed. How's it coming, Arthur? Another moment. I think I'll have this lock worth loose. And if we escape, then what? We'll worry about that after we get out of this mouse cage. Suppose we don't make it. At least you've written the story on that scrap of paper. Someone may find it and read it. Nobody will believe it. Then why did you bother to write it? I don't know. I suppose I want the world to know what happened to me. That does it. Help me push the door open. Now what? The first job is getting down to the floor. I think we can make it by sliding down the telephone cord. Are you game? Go ahead. I'm right behind you. Easy now. Look out! That does it. Now, 
If we can figure out a way to get out of the room, well, that should be... Uh-oh. Listen. Somebody's coming. It must be Quakey. We've got to hide. Yeah. The grate in the fireplace. He'll kill us if he finds us. Be quiet. Well, my friends. Time for feeding. I trust that you... Uh... So... You have managed to break out. It won't do, you know. There is no way you could have gotten out of the room with the door and window locked. I know you are in here. I would advise you to save yourselves trouble and give up. Very well, my tiny friends. If you prefer to play the game of cat and mouse, then I shall be happy to furnish the cat. There's no way you can get out. What now? He's gone for the cat. If that monster ever gets in here, we're goners. There must be... Wait a minute. What? You see that thin strand of wire running along the molding? What about it? It's the automatic fire alarm. When the alarm is tripped by a fire or short circuit, all the locks are sprung so that the patients can escape from their rooms. If I can short that wire before Craigie lets the cat into the building... Let's go. There's a tiny sliver of steel from the cage on the floor. I'll work with that. You keep an ear to the door. Go ahead. Insulation is tough as rawhide. Stuff. Hurry up, Arthur, for God's sake. There it is. Stand away. I'm going to short it. Ready? Okay. We made it. There goes the door. Let's make a run for it down the hall. If we can get to the garden, we've got a chance. I smell smoke. The short may have actually started the fire. Come on. Wait a minute. I have to go back. The manuscript. Don't be a fool. There's no time. Come on. You go ahead. I'll catch up. Hurry up. I'll wait in the hall. Only a second. I've got it. Come on. There's nothing to stop us now. Arthur? Where are you? It's funny. Arthur? Arthur? Arthur, what's happened to you? This is the record found in a fountain pen cover in the burned-out hallway of Dr. Grimshaw's sanitarium. There's nothing to add except that the fire which destroyed the sanitarium and killed so many of its occupants, including Dr. Grimshaw and Dr. Voina, was definitely of incendiary nature. It is believed by the fire chief that some small creature, possibly a mouse, chewed the insulation off the wire and short-circuited the system. The two patients, John Doherty and Arthur Kay, vanished completely after the fire, and their remains were never found. Whether the manuscript which you have just heard is authentic, or whether it was the work of one of the more demented inmates of the sanitarium, we leave to your judgment. You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Fred Way and is an NBC Radio Network production. X-1 